Good to see everyone again. It's been a while, but it's, we're part of a huge family that gets together and we get to be together forever and ever. And so this is a glimpse of the joy we get and also in the middle of the sorrow as a pastor and a professor at the university uh, campus and, and also trying to resource through GraceFinder. I see, I just saw it happen right here. We, we live inside of mourning and, and rejoicing. We rejoice, joy inside of sorrow, sorrow inside of joy. It's just like, it's just what life is. One, one minute you're, you're, you're doing well, and next minute you hear news that, that causes you distress and challenge, and you just call upon God for prayer. We're living inside of this huge story, and we are part of a huge family, and it's good to be with you all and, and, to, and, and to be on the journey and to share from, from, God, from God's Word, which if you, re, if you realize enough conversations with people, uh, like the international students that... Uh, our, our work, uh, so many on our campus, as James and Anne have, have mentioned as well. This, this book, this Bible, it's Bible means the book, uh, is this huge story of, of God's grace, of creation, and brokenness, and redemption, and restoration. And we're right in the middle of it all. But sometimes, I don't know if you do, but I take it for granted. People know things, uh, but we met people this week, they don't, have, they don't even, hardly even know maybe the name of Jesus. So we often do just start there, and I tend to preach mostly in the Gospels uh, for that reason when I go places, to just make sure that we're anchored in the greatest uh, news that's ever occurred and ever will be. And the whole story really echoes and points to him as the Messiah. But that challenge we have to also not see just that part, but to find grace in, the, in all of God's word. There are 30, according to counts on Dr. Google, there are 31,000 verses uh, verses were added to help us navigate it. I mean, now we can search and you can do things. I mean, imagine trying to understand what that means. Maybe you're on that journey. Maybe you're trying to figure this out. And today I'm speaking from a book in the Old Testament, Zephaniah. I've been doing this because I'm, I'm trying to also speak on finding grace in the Old Testament because people sometimes forget grace is, the, grace is everywhere in the whole scriptural story. There is judgment, there is challenge, there's corruption, there's brokenness. It's all through that story, but it's, there's also grace right there uh, in the Old Testament. And, and Zephaniah, and, and I, I almost want to call this hidden gems, but really it's, it's, there's, it makes it sound like the rest of it isn't that important. But I mean, there are hidden gems, little things there that I've had people say with this sermon from when I've spoken other places where they've said, I had no idea this was in the Bible. I'd like, had no, and there are, you have to have read it all the way through. Um, but, but it's a library, 31,000 verses. I mean, it's, and so, so it's, it may never get there. I, I used to think, oh, I'm going to be able to preach through the whole Bible uh, in my lifetime. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to happen. Uh, not, if you, not if you really dig in. But these little books are, are gems. Uh, like, like I heard, I heard uh, some sermons on Habakkuk yeah, at a retreat yeah, yesterday. And I'm like, oh, Habakkuk, maybe that's a little, another little book. Uh, Philippians, another, maybe I'll get to, I'm, I don't know if I'll ever get through Isaiah. Or Jeremiah, or some of the—I mean, you know—I hope I hope uh, Pastor Dennis will. But it's—it's—I don't know—I don't know—I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to be able to do it. But the Word of God is so powerful, and it's so—and and yet there's some places that are, are are challenging. So if you're here today and you're going, "Wow, okay, Zephaniah," I don't know where to go in this. Um, I recommend you—you—I you, you, recommend the uh, recommend the Bible Project to you. Go up and just search it, and it'll help add more to it. You maybe need to do some more. You may need to read through the whole thing, just three chapters. I'm going to touch on it all. 
um, but not really. I'm going to focus on verse uh, uh, 16 and 17. I'm going, to, I'm going to read that just so we have that in front of us. And then, we, and then we'll continue and we'll hear about the singing God or the God who sings. And so let me just pull this up here and make sure that I actually can see it. I mean, this is, I mean, imagine, can you imagine the apostle, I mean, Paul maybe sees this, but you imagine the people in, in the, on the other side, they see what we can do, actually, to pull these things up. Zephaniah is right, at, uh, right after Habakkuk, and I'm going to just read uh, verse 16 and 17. Typically, though, I'll refer to the whole, the book is meant to be kind of spoken in, in one shot, in a sense. They would listen to it all. Um, in, 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 with, the, with the rabbis or the scribes. But let me get to this place where I'll tie in the rest of the book here. So after a lot of comments about judgment, and really if you want to th- hear, you want to summarize the prophets in the Old Testament, there's, there is a lot of judgment, and it's because of injustice. It's because people forgot there's a God because they were doing terrible things. It's not like this mean God of, of the Old Testament. It's not actually. It's the judgment that, because people are... We really do things that are completely off what should ever be done and, and, and violent and, and evil. Um, and then, but then we come to this gem right in the middle of it all, and maybe, maybe you've never read this yourself. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy, the King of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you. A warrior who saves. He's mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love and he will delight in you with singing. Take that picture with you as we unfold first that challenge of the judgment that's ahead. the, the, The injustice that's being challenged. But then the God who never gives up on us. He's always there, and we can find grace here, too. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are the core of the, of, the, of the Word. You are the living Word. You are the Word made flesh. Everything that we say in this, all this library is from you. It's all pointing to this incredible, awesome, powerful Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one true and living God, the God who walks on the earth, the God who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the one who says, before Abraham was, I am, the one who claims the, to be Yahweh of the old and new of the whole word. And here we go back to a word that you've given us in Zephaniah, and we, we hear of, of your singing, singing over us. And so we want to hear the words that we need to hear for this congregation and for, for all the churches that are gathering in the millions right now. We just pray, Lord, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path a light in darkness, a light in a dark world, and yet you never give up on us. Even when we feel like we're mourning and broken, we still rejoice. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so go with us on this word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you saw saw these words, this headline, you might think it's something out out of, I don't know, Breaking Bad or something really, really awful. Idol worship, child sacrifice, Manasseh's own son, uh, male, male with children in the room, things going on that are not, that they're selling themselves. 
innocent blood shed. It could read worse than a modern headline or, or, or one of our, the shows, but it's the 600s B.C. The nation is in turmoil. Israel has been captured by the Assyrians. And now Judah is desperately needing God's intervention. You can see this in 2 Kings 21, just if, you have, if you're that kind of person needing to go back later and connect the dots. This is the world and time of Zephaniah the prophet. Words of judgment start the book. They ring out in 1 verse 4, and then a call back to God, chapter 2, 1 to 3, and then judgment on the other nations, 2 verse 4 to 15, and then words against God's people. 3 verse 1 to 7, and finally, the conversion and regathering of Israel and the glorious future of those who love God in chapter 3, 8 to 20. That's the, the outline as we focus towards the end of the book. Raises many questions. Who is this God we worship and serve? And we get glimpses of the, the, who God is all through the biblical story, and we get it also here. There are things that motivational speakers say. You know, maybe you know Tony Robbins, and they ask questions and how to change your life. Who wouldn't want to know the answer to that question? We all have areas we'd love to change or improve, and I'm often intrigued at what they're saying. Uh, maybe some common wisdom mixed with a focus on treating yourself right. What really seems to be the appeal is that they're so positive, especially in such a negative world, right? There's such a, such a negative world, and, and the echo chamber on, I mean, how many, do, do, you, do you really follow your Twitter? Uh, echo, anyway, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't want to be mean to Twitter, but it's Twitter, yeah. Almost to a fault, yet with all the, all the voices, sometimes these people get drawn in. I knew, I knew a student who'd just say to me, I just, I just listen to this, this speaker because they just say nice things, and it makes me happy. It's kind of like, don't worry, be happy. Uh, philosophy. And you can kind of see why people do it sometimes. They, they, they don't want to hear these words. It's like, we hear enough negative news. Uh, I stopped listening to the news on TV for, uh, what's TV now, uh, for, for years. Um, because it, it's basically bad, I mean, it's just the bad news of the day. With a little thing going, oh, there's a dog and, you know, it, it, it got saved and rescued. Like, in the middle of all the bad news. But these, you, you hear these motivational speakers, you hear them interacting with callers, and, and they're looking for answers. And I think there's many others out there. I mean, that's just one, um, one that who, who maybe is off the grid a little bit. Um, and they ask questions that a lot of the times they're trivial. You know, get real and get healthy. Make yourself happy. Rediscover romance. Redecorate your home. Social media is asking, right? Can fiber help heartburn? Uh, Okay, how do you improve your love life? Some are asked every year. Check out any current popular magazine. I mean, honestly, couldn't they just take out, and if I'm offending you right now, it's, I guess it's okay, take out all the magazines that are in front of the cashiers and save the paper. I mean, almost, there's not almost, except maybe Time once in a while, McLean's or something, but I mean, there's almost, or Star Wars. Ooh, Star Wars is coming out, it's great. Uh, you know, the new, like, get rid of them all. I mean, we could save them, like, how much paper could you save? All these banal questions, the mundane, and you know, they are part of our lives. But, and some are political. The questions get a little deeper. The future of our country. What is in store for Canada? Challenges in leadership, healthcare, the, the new COVID normal. Challenges in leadership, Hel uh, the reality of, the, of poverty that they try to fight as leaders. How, how, how can we show mercy with so much need? 
So uh, some come quite close to home. Maybe this is you. Some of the students have say, have say this. This is kind of a lament of their, our students. And I know people sometimes push back on it, but I think they need to just hear it. You know, will I even find work? Uh, will I find work that I actually like? Uh, you know, will I make it through another year of drudgery? Do I need to get a master's so I can just get a basic job? Uh, that's common. Will I make a friend? Uh, will anyone care? Uh, these are the questions that go deeper and deeper into our hearts. And some of them are really big, and they're, in, and they're in, our, in our passage that we won't touch on all of them, but some of them addressed our, in verse 14, you could, you could get the idea that, ask the question, will I ever have reason for joy again? In verse 15, will I ever stop feeling this guilt? In verse 13 and 16, will I stop being afraid? And verse 17, our focal point today, and 16 as well, will we ever be truly loved? For just truly loved. This passage of scripture raises an important question. There are, there are a lot of polls and loud voices, the, the new atheists or that aren't so new anymore. Um, there's, there's all kinds of voices out there and there's a lot of challenge out there. But the polls still show this. In, in North America at least, if not in many, many countries, that people believe in some sort of God. There is this cry out to God still, but this, the question maybe is more substantial. What is your view of God? Who is God? Who does Zephaniah help us to see? It's like Mortimer Adler said, there are more consequences for thought and action that follow from the affirmation or denial of God than from answering any other question. Some of the answers we might find if we did a street survey. They actually say if you do this with children or adults, that almost is the same kind of answers, which is really interesting. Basically, that, that God is a bright light, or God's an old man, old woman in the, in the sky, a higher power, pure love. Uh, and, and they did this with children too, and they may be a little bit differently worded, but it's the same kind of thing. Um, you know, like, remember the, remember the story of the child? They're saying, you know, what are you drawing? And he's like, well, I'm going to draw God. And it's like, uh, you know, how, how, who knows what God looks like? Does it, how, what does he look like? So, well, they'll know after I'm done drawing it. <laughs> Which, I mean, think of the, 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 the little children, let the little children come unto me, right? As if you could. Although probably if he drew Jesus, he'd be as close as you could get to, the, to the being uh, saying that. How do, you, how do you understand these attempts? People do have a glimmer of God, but without revelation from God as we have, our attempts just lead us astray, our own conceptions. We create God in our own image, and this is what's happened in Judah. It's happened all through the history in Israel. The challenge is to stay following the true God. The, you just don't create a triune, infinite, holy, wise, all-knowing, just, good, true, loving God of your own accord. You leave things out. You don't want, especially a God who's just to you. Get them, but don't get me. It's like an us versus them mentality. Um, this is the God who comes to the world. As one pastor says it very crassly, but really interesting, the God who hangs on a cross on the town garbage heap. This is the God of the world. Like we just, you just don't create this story. When we look through the Bible, our small views of God are shattered as we see an overwhelming picture of a God who cannot be contained or comprehended by the human mind. A God who is good and also just. The life challenge is to remember 
and know this God and not just a creation of our own imagination. Idolatry, one theologian says that our humans are idol factories. It's an interesting in light of our own world what some Israelites were thinking about God at this time in Zephaniah. In Zephaniah 1.12 it says this, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. And this is the key, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Spoken so long ago in a different context, and yet echoes right into our day. In other words, God isn't going to do anything. Doesn't that sound like a refrain, even if people don't want to admit it? Maybe we're not so blatant in our own thinking. Maybe in our day we think, God will do good for others, but not for me. Or God can't change my, my relationships. You don't know my partner, my spouse. They just don't understand me. Or God isn't concerned with my mundane life, all these little details. What does he care about bills and babies and back talk and building and baloney that I put up with? Or the lament people, and, 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 or just the complaint, God can't stop the government agenda. Canada, Canadians are doomed. We see that. I mean, maybe you felt it. In 2022, Zephaniah from 600 BC is still speaking to us and says to us, beware of a fatalistic view of God. Beware of a God you think cannot do anything and hasn't done anything. Their plight shows us our own, even so far removed. Many in Judah had seen the fall of Israel 80 years earlier by Assyrian invaders, and they had all but given up any hope that they would survive with enemies all around them. They were living as if Yahweh had already brought judgment. We can see from their comments that they had not learned the lesson of the northern kingdom. Strange to see how in our day of technological advances and global communications, a day when we know so much more of God's plan, that we end up stating similar words. Shouldn't we know better? Well, not really. In some senses, the human heart is still broken and still deviates and, and, and wanders. Lord, we wander so prone. Education and technology are important, but, and they are gifts, but they're not the full answer. Walking by faith in a God who cannot see is the answer, but not as simple as some might tell you, especially when the words we have to tell people about our God don't always match their preconceptions of the grandfather who, who winks at our little mistakes. During the time of spiritual change that Zephaniah was living in, we hear a different message, and it starts hard, but then it comes out in this beautiful, beautiful ending. Justice is coming. Wrath is coming. Repent, turn to God, is the call. And, and just like throughout the biblical story, before we hear good news, we first see how hard things are and what needs to be done and that we need to turn. Repentance just means to turn. It's not, it wasn't even, the, it, it's biblical word, but actually they used that word in the Roman Empire. To repent was to turn around and jo you know, join the legion. Um, as opposed to, you know, your, your, own, your, own, your own country. Join the, join the Roman cohorts. Uh, repent. Turn. The kingdom language was for the emperor. It's very interesting. But here we have bad news first. The God who sings first announces wrath or his justice. God is a just judge. And this is in chapter 1, uh, 14 to 18 and other places too. But we just touch on that. These passages of judgment in the prophets are some of the most unread in the Bible. Our tendency could be to avoid them as much as possible. I don't know when, when's the last time you've read the prophets. 
You don't have to raise your hand. But some, but it's, it's, it can, you can forget about certain things. It is a library, and you're like, well, I'll just read the nice verses, right? Or I'll pull one out when I need it. Uh, why can't we just talk about the positive sections? Uh, while some seem to bask in telling bad news, there are people like that too. Uh, that certainly isn't my joy. I have a problem, though. This theme of wrath is all over the Bible and has become caricatured into a defeater belief, as Tim Keller would say, a roadblock to faith for many people. So you just say this and then people just stop talking about it and they don't look further. It's a challenge. But if, but if this is not the year the final day of the Lord comes, it will certainly be one year closer. It's like a surgeon afraid to cut out the bad tissue. I'd be remiss to merely say what we want to hear or what I want to hear. We get a taste in this also in, uh, as the wrath that's aimed at the leaders in this situation. The leaders under God in verse 7 and 8, it, that you notice that God is so, sovereign over all the things, including the rulers of the day. He goes after them, though. If we read this out of context, which included child sacrifice, we might wonder how strong these words are. Um, but, they, but it was in a really, really brutal situation. The leaders were truly walking away. Knowing the abuses that Manasseh had introduced, we can recognize the anger God has at such atrocities. You ever get that when you're watching a film and you're so angry at what's happening on the screen because screen it's so unjust? If we can feel even that little bit, and, and it usually spills into, probably it's not all righteous anger, but, but imagine the God who truly sees everything in the world, all the atrocities, everything at the same time. Outside of time, it's, like, it's just incomprehensible. The deluge that, 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 that God sees. If we can bristle at the injustices we see on, t on the uh, internet and on TV, imagine what Jesus sees when he looks at Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? Through, the, through as Zephaniah sees, oh, oh, Judah, oh, Judah, what are you doing? Also notice that Another point that's made about this wrath that's coming, it's not just coming for no reason, it's coming because they, they really think that not only the leaders think they can do whatever they, need, they want to do, but also that riches can save them, but they can't. Riches cannot save them. It, it, it points it at it in verse 18. It's a challenging word applied to our affluent society and to me. When Christ returns, our possessions will not go with us. It's a sobering reminder we remember that justice is coming. And secondly, to build on this, our view of God reminds us to repent, to turn to the truly beautiful, the God we sing of and the God who sings. The singing God calls us to repentance. You see it in chapter 2, verse 3, the daily need is, de is there. And the people, Josiah the king at the time, heard these words from Zephaniah. <clears throat> seek, the, seek the Lord. All you humble of the land who do the, his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. All is not lost is the word of, from God. Turn to me, be saved. In that context, the people would need to go back in their memories to remember the exodus out of Egypt, how God had delivered them from slavery and oppression. God did act for them. He had acted all through their history. Maybe not as we want God to act at every moment, although when does God stop t stopping evil? I mean, right up to our thoughts. 
Imagine if, if God was stopping all the evil in the world at the same time and we were having bad thoughts, everybody would be walking around and not able to do anything. So in some senses, there's a, an allowance for us as responsible people. But God does act. He, he intervenes at times to show that God is there in the greatest intervention through, through the Lord Jesus. Just the sending of Zephaniah was proof of his love. He, do, he sends prophet after prophet. And doesn't, they don't get a good uh, reception either. The context is key to defeat cynicism then and now. How much more do we have proof of God's love through the sending of his son? They were still waiting for the Messiah. We've been shown the Messiah has come. I hope that the toughness of this passage will not deter you from pondering these truths about God. The call is to come to the only one who can fulfill our true needs and save us. While this, while this will probably leave us with many questions, and there are a ton of good resources to search out, we will be left with questions, but there are resources. As the biggest question I face in my classes and with students is, you know, why is God doing this? Why suffering? There are so many things out there that if you, if you do want to have uh, resources, come and ask me. Uh, there, there is a day coming, though, for true answers. The last part of Zephaniah shows us the good news about God. The good news, news so good that it results in singing. God's singing. So wrath, yes, we've heard it. Uh, repentance, yes, is the call. And finally, the singing God, the God who sings, rejoices over us. Here is the God who delights in his people, as we see in verse 17. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. In light of this text, we know with certainty that even now, because of Christ, the personal and political will be put to rest. All the echo chamber anger we asked about earlier, Will we be successful? All, and these motivational people ask us these questions. Will we find friends? As God defines, there is a God in heaven. Yes, go to him for true success as he cares for our needs. Not a hair falls from our head without our heavenly father knowing. So will Canada, our world, survive this year as there is a God in heaven, a God who sings, yes, Go to him, only he can ultimately satisfy and overcome the idols of our hearts. Only the God who's revealed through Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This God rejoices over us. Over the ones who don't, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, and yet he gives it as a gift. This is the truth of, our, of the text. He gives this to broken people. What does the voice of God singing sound like? One author wrote, writes this. When I think of the voice of God singing, I hear the booming of Niagara Falls, mingled with the trickle of a mossy mountain stream. I hear the blast of Mount St. Helens, mingled with a kitten's purr. I hear the power of an East Coast hurricane and the barely audible puff at, of a night snow in the woods. And I hear the unimaginable roar of the sun, 865,000 miles thick, 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth, and nothing but fire. 1 million degrees centigrade on the cooler surface of the corona, but I hear his unimaginable roar mingled with the tender, warm 
crackling of the living room logs on a cozy winter's night. And when I hear this singing, I stand dumbfounded, staggered, speechless, that he's singing over me. What I know about myself, what we know about ourselves. He's rejoicing over my good with all his heart and with all his soul. Can you feel the wonder of this today? That God, that the Lord Jesus is rejoicing over you with singing. No, you say, I can't. Because I'm too guilty that God should rejoice over me. Maybe you feel that. But will you not believe verse 15? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Can you not then feel the wonder that the Lord, the Spirit, exalts over you with loud singing? No, you say, still I can't because he's a great, holy God and I feel like God is so far away from me. But also verse 15 says, the King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. He is not far from you. He is singing over you. The King Jesus has come. We know this through the cross and the empty tomb and the throne he sits upon even now in the restoration that is to come. But, but someone still might say, maybe this is you, I'm enslaved to shame. Here, verse 19, I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth, singing over you. In light of these verses, we see the big questions. They will fade away on the final day. Where his delight in us is all we will feel, and we will glorify and enjoy him at all times. The questions that will plague us, like will I ever have reason for joy, or will I stop feeling this guilt, will I ever be a, stop being afraid, will we be, ever be truly loved, they are answered by these great words of encouragement. God is with you. The reason for joy, he is mighty to save. There's no more guilt. He will take great delight in you. No fear. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He will be quiet in his love. Here is true love. Not only this, but he will rejoice over you. Think of your name. Rejoice over you with singing. God's common grace allows for people, even, to, even the motivational speakers, Brené Browns of the world, to alleviate some of the people's present felt needs. But oh, what a message there is that all of our true needs are met by the God who brings wrath, calls to repent, but rejoices over his people. As we look to the cross, there in some mysterious way, Jesus is singing over us. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross, despising the shame. The God who sings over us. May we hear him again. May we experience his delight in us through his son. The wrath we do deserve, given a, he, but he gives us repentance and he gives us such an open door to rejoice in him with singing. His song has saved our lives. Look no further than the miracle for a risen Savior, the one who is mighty to save, who sings over you, over all of us. Now God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me, let me say a prayer before we have communion. Lord Jesus, thank you. The mystery of your word is so overwhelming at times. And the love for your people, even as we stumble each day is unfathomable 
all the depths of the riches, the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Your depths of riches, Lord, are beyond what we can ever comprehend. You encourage us. You're the, you're the, the pianist who plays as we stumble along making our little music. Your singing takes us. Your, your beautiful power takes us all through life. And we don't do it alone. We do it together as your people. We do it helping and carrying each other, holding each other up, leaning on each other, casting our burdens on you and on each other in prayer in our lives. Lord, bless this congregation. Bless the prayers that have been asked for today. Open hearts, Lord. Help us to see you. And thank you that you truly do see us. You see us forgiven, not forsaken. You see us loved, not condemned. You see us in your Son, Lord Jesus, the delight that you have over us is beyond what we ever could imagine or deserve. Praise your name. And in your beautiful name we, we pray. Amen.